Poland. Uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot. No. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Pole and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to the 17th episode of Polcast. In this episode we will tell you... About a program which allows talented Polish teenagers to study in best British high schools and then continue their education in top universities in the world. How a young Canadian filmmaker's interest in Warsaw made him move there and resulted in a number of documentaries about its past. Smacznego! We're here talking about our love for eating Polish. My name is Peter. And my name is Laura. And we wrote two heritage Polish cookbooks called Classic Polish Recipes and Classic Polish Desserts, where all the recipes were handed down from previous generations, but updated for modern kitchens. Today we want to share a story with you about a dish of Polish comfort food called Siadłe Mleko, or in English, sour milk. So first, let me say that this is not sour, and it's not spoiled. It's served chilled, has a pudding-like consistency, tastes a lot like yogurt, and is absolutely delicious on a hot summer day. You know, my mother was active in the Polish underground during World War II, and she shared a story about some Polish resistance fighters in France behind the enemy lines, hiding in a farmer's barn. The soldiers were starving, but the farmer told them that all he had was the sour milk, which he used for feeding his pigs, and some old potatoes from his fields. When they heard that, they started laughing hysterically, because in Poland, sour milk is a peasant food, also known as królewskie danie, or the king's dish. So the farmer boiled some of his potatoes, sprinkled them with dill from his garden, and dropped them in a pail of his sour milk. And the soldiers feasted, just as they had feasted on this farm classic all their lives. In Poland, you can buy it commercially these days, commercially prepared. But back in the day, this dish was made at home with unpasteurized milk. That's not too smart nowadays because you could get really sick, but you still can make it at home. Put a half cup of sour cream or a full cup of buttermilk in a bowl with three or four cups of whole milk. Cover with a plastic and set it inside a warm spot. It should be set up in three to four days. Sometimes farmers markets will also carry local milk that hasn't been ultra-pasteurized. We like to serve it with young boiled potatoes and dill. The full recipe for this dish and more information about our heritage cookbooks is on our website, www.polishclassiccooking.com. Just scroll down to the sour milk recipe posted on July 29, 2015. Smacznego! In our previous episode, I spoke to Warsaw-based journalist Grzegorz Nawrocki, 
who is the president of the British Alumni Society in Poland. He talked about Oxford-style debates, which he chairs. Today, we talked to him about a great educational initiative organized by the British Alumni Society in Poland. Let's talk about everything you do in order to help gifted students in Poland, from Poland, to get to top British universities. Our motto, our, our slogan of the British Alumni Society is Networking for Success. And that's what it's all about. Because we've got a, uh, we've got a whole list of alumni of British universities, or high schools sometimes as well, now living in Poland and working in Poland, we've got a very good network of the schools that are interested in, in providing young, talented Holes places in their schools. And we're talking about, I don't know, 15, 16, 17. That varies from academic year to academic year. But we get from various very, very good schools across Britain, across the UK and in Scotland. Basically, the, the, the idea is that after the first year in, in the Polish high school, you go to Britain for another couple of years and you finish your school with the, what we call the British Matura, you know, some, an examination that lets you actually let, lets you study British universities or American universities or actually anywhere in the world with uh, with their diplomas. It's, it's a pretty complicated uh, application process because the uh, headmasters and headmistresses from Britain, some of them come to Warsaw every year for interviews and they actually choose those candidates that were pre-selected by us based on the on their academic skills and sort of extracurricular achievements. And they pick the ones that they, they see most potential in and they take them to Britain. In June, we handed in 17 diplomas and people are preparing to leave for the UK in uh, at the end of August, beginning of September, to start the two-year adventure with the British education in, in, in the best British boarding schools. More than a dozen of people now that I know of study at either Oxford or Cambridge or Princeton or UCL. They are the ones who actually had already uh, graduated from those boarding schools and started studying at British universities and American universities as well, including Harvard. We've done it for many years, for six years at least. And of course, we're planning to do it as long as we can. We're not sure about it, how it's, how it's going to look now with the Brexit thing and all the rest of it. But so far, it seems that nothing much is going to change. Certainly for the next year, it's going to be exactly the same way. How does that work on the Polish front, on your turf? How, how is this organized? At the end, towards the end of the year, November, December, we're advertising that we're starting application process. And it's basically advertised everywhere so that Polish schools across the country, and it's important to say that it, it's actually rarely that it applies to places like Warsaw, Poznań, Wrocław, because one of the criteria is income of parents, and the income shouldn't be very high which excludes those children whose parents earn very good money. Very often, these are children from smaller places. So we're starting the application process, November, December. People are sending in the, uh, all the details. They're writing essays. They, 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 they are telling us what they do apart from schools. They're delivering certificates that are needed. From that pool, we are selecting a group of those 
who will be interviewed. And the interviews are usually around beginning mid-February, something like that, maybe maximum towards the end of February. And then after a month, we know everything. At the end of it, we were selecting about 15 to 17 students. And the selection, the, 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 the final selection process takes place with the participation of the headmistresses or headmasters that come from Britain to Warsaw, to the Polska Academia now, Polish Academy of Science. And these are regular interviews. They last two days. Students come from, from all over the country, and it's, it's quite a nervous couple of days for them, I must say. But many of them are very leave, leave those interviews very, very happy because they know that their lives will be changed forever. And I can say that they are actually changed forever. What are your biggest successes in this? Yes, we do have examples, actually quite a lot of examples of students who actually started uh, with the British Lamb Society's scholarship and they continued to Oxford, Cambridge or the best British and American universities. Yes, we do have those examples. The first ones will be finishing the universities next year, as far as I remember. But we've got our alumni at Oxford, at Cambridge, at Harvard, at Princeton. They are still students. And many of them actually are planning to come back to Poland. We only work in British Alumni Society because people are coming back and they want to give back something to the society because they got all sorts of scholarships in, 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 the, you know, in their own lives and they know that it can be important and that it is important. Many of them are planning to come back. Um, we are very happy. Uh, because of that, we run another program that actually caters for those who plan to come back to return, returnees, the program of returnees. We, the people who actually constitute the British Alumni Society, are all returnees. We, all are, grad we, we are all graduates of British universities, but we are in, in Poland because it is our choice. We could stay in Britain or work anywhere else in the world. But we wanted to come back to our country. And many people actually are telling us they do want to come back to their own country, to Poland, if they are able to find a chance for themselves. And we are helping them with that as well. natural that many Polish composers draw their inspiration from Polish folk music, but the music you have just heard is not by any Polish composer. It is by David Bowie, and not only does it have a Polish title, Warszawa, but it has a fascinating Polish origin and folk inspiration. How did it come to be? David Bowie never traveled by plane. 
as he suffered from a paralyzing fear of flying. Even during his world tours, he traveled by train and by ship. He traveled through Warsaw twice. In 1976, on the way from Japan to London, he also took a train. When the train was held up for a few hours at the station in Warsaw, David Bowie decided to leave the train and take a short walk around Warszawa-Gdańska train station. He popped into a nearby record store. Reportedly, upon entering, he saw a store clerk showing a customer a record by the famous Śląsk Polish National Song and Dance Ensemble. Bowie heard the music, bought the record, and went back to the station to catch his train. And soon after, his song Warszawa was born. In an interview with Polish magazine Tylko Rok, Bowie recalled, In that tune, Warszawa, I wanted to express the feelings of people who yearn to be free. They can smell the scent of freedom, but they can't reach it. The song was released in 1977 on the album Low and was considered the best track on that album. It was also used as a live opener on two of Bowie's concert tours. The lyrics don't mean anything in Polish or any other language for that matter, but here is the piece performed by the Polish song and dance ensemble Śląsk entitled Hello Kanye. Well, you be the judge. Bednarski was born, raised, and educated in Canada. A historian and filmmaker, almost seven years ago, Eric moved to Warsaw, where he produces his documentaries, most of which are related to the city and its history, winning awards and being screened in many countries. Eric, you are a Canadian-born um, filmmaker who um, grew up and got educated in Canada, but at some point there was something that pulled you to Poland. There is a little bit of a family history behind it. Yes, that's correct. Uh, my father comes from Warsaw, so growing up I heard a lot about uh, the city, heard a lot about Poland, but didn't actually spend much time there. Um, it was only when I grew up and I started visiting Poland regularly and I really fell in love with the place and became particularly uh, fascinated and maybe connected with Warsaw. So that led me to where I am today here in Warsaw. But interestingly, uh, what happened is that this is not just a personal connection, but it's also a professional connection because a lot of your films are connected with Warsaw. Yes. Well, I, I actually studied uh, Polish history and then went on to study uh, well, filmmaking. So I wanted to kind of combine those two interests and passions, I guess you could say. And uh, that, that took me to Warsaw, where I have, uh, I've made a number of films and where I, I'm at home now. And, uh, and there's really a lot of history to tell here, and I'm particularly interested in the history of the city. Which of the films that you made are the most important to you? 
Well, I would say probably the last film I made uh, about Warsaw, which is called Neon, and that one tells the history of the uh, communist era, Neon Signs um, of the 50s, 60s, and 70s. I spent about three years making that film. It was really exciting to make, and I think it tells the history of the city, um, but it also tells the history of the neons, and it's set very much in the present, but also explores the past. So it's a good film for poles and non-poles. The neon film has been shown all over the world. It's been it's actually been shown in Canada, in Montreal, at the International Festival of Films on Art. It won a prize there uh, for Best Documentary on Design Arts. Uh, it's been screened in Turkey, in Japan, in Romania, in Bulgaria, in Germany, France, and throughout Poland as well. Why neons? Well, I wanted to make a film about Warsaw, but after after the city had been rebuilt. And I thought that the neons would be a good way to explore, like I said, the 50s post-Stalinist era into the 60s and 70s, and particularly the design, the Polish design of that of that time. And these neons were made by some of the, the greatest uh, artists and, and designers. And there was actually sort of a a process that we we don't really have in in the in the West. It was called neonization. The state actually designed, manufactured, and and maintained uh, the neon signs in Warsaw in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. They were, in a way, I guess you could say, tools of propaganda to give the impression that cities were more hip and happening places than they than they really were. In recent years, there's been tremendous interest in these signs because no one really owned them when the transition happened from the uh, communist system to the free market economy. They didn't really advertise anything. A lot of young people and probably some old people too began to, to feel sort of nostalgic for them and to see value in them and, and, to, and to think these things need to be refurbished, need to be saved. I hear there's a museum of neons in, in, in Warsaw, is that right? That's correct. There's, uh, there's a museum in an area called Soho Factory, which is in the Praga district on the other side of the Viswa River. And it's been in existence now for, I think, almost three years. Uh, that neon museum actually figures quite prominently in the film, the documentary film that I made about these these signs. What happened in the other films, Warsaw-related films that you made? What were what were they about? Pretty much the very first film I made right out of film school was sort of had to do with Warsaw. It was about a great uncle who was in Auschwitz, but it's not really about the city. I made a film called MDM, which tells the story of the rebuilding and redesign of a particular part of the city. Uh, I was fascinated with uh, the rebuilding, not only the, the, the story of the Nazi destruction of the city, but then the Soviet reconstruction and redesign of the city. So I chose this one area, and uh, it was to be a showpiece for the new Soviet-backed communist regime. It was built in the early 50s. Uh, it's very grand, monumental, socialist, realist-style area. And uh, once again, I sort of explored the past through the present, my my dad's actually an architect, so I, I have a particular interest in, I guess you could say, the urban fabric of the city and uh, the architectural history. The same architecture is obviously exemplified by the Palace of Culture. Monumental building that's right in the center for those people who haven't been to Warsaw. That's right in the center of the city, and and really, you can see it almost from every part of the city. It was, it was also built in the 50s. Uh, it was completed in 1955, I believe. And uh, it was a gift from the Soviet Union to, to, 
to the people of Poland and to the to the residents of Warsaw. Still, a lot of people have very mixed emotions about it. The MDM film was the first one that really focuses entirely on a Warsaw subject. Then I made, well, I made a film about a physicist, a Nobel Peace Prize winning physicist who was born and raised and educated in Warsaw, Joseph Rotblat. And uh, he is closely connected to Canada because uh, in 1957, the first Pugwash conference happened and he was behind that with Bertrand Russell. And that was this conference on trying to rid the world of nuclear weapons. There is this trend of trying to revive Poland or Warsaw under communism in terms of the restaurants and various other elements. What do you think about it? Well, I obviously have mixed feelings because I don't particularly uh, look too fondly upon those dark years of of communism in, in Poland or in Warsaw. But there are, I guess, some elements that, that like in design or in the popular culture of the time that people are starting to see maybe should be uh, looked at uh, again, or maybe some people are starting to miss. Um, so even for people who weren't born in that in that era, didn't grow up in that system. There is some, I guess, nostalgia for certain aspects. It's controversial, but you can't just dismiss everything because it, it happened or was created in in those years of, of the People's Republic, I think. What are you working on now? Well, I have just finished uh, a film that has nothing to do with, with Warsaw or with Poland, a film about the situation in northern Uganda. Uh, and that film was made for the United Nations. So there was 20 years of civil war in northern Uganda. And uh, this film really examines the reconciliation and transformations happening. I have a few other projects on Warsaw that I'm doing now as well, just getting started with those. And I don't want to jinx them, but I can tell you that they're both uh, very much connected to the history of the city and uh, should be done in the next year or two, hopefully. What's special in Warsaw for you? From a personal perspective, there's that family connection to the place, which I've really explored and uh, learned so much about. But then it's just a very uh, fascinating, exciting place to be, uh, especially in the past seven or so years I've been here. It's just gone through tremendous change. There are really interesting people who have moved here. And there's history everywhere. And as someone who studied history, I guess that's maybe what I like most about it. There are layers and layers of history. Obviously, much of it is very tragic, but uh, it's a place that uh, you don't get bored in, that's for sure. It was almost completely destroyed by one totalitarian force. It was nationalized. It was redesigned and rebuilt by another totalitarian force. So for a documentary filmmaker, as you can imagine, there's there's a lot to be done here. Local Warsaw residents and other other people from across Poland really rebuilt their capital. But there was that guidance, I would say, from the Soviet Union from Moscow. Uh, and the shape the city took from the late 40s onwards was definitely always linked to the USSR. Um, the sort of monumental avenues and the socialist realist architecture, and then later all these shabby apartment blocks that were put up everywhere. If for somebody who would want to go to Warsaw for the first time, if you were to give them maybe one or two places that you think are really amazing, what would they be? In the summer, uh, the banks of the Viswa River really come alive. There are many cafes and clubs and even beach areas, um, recreational areas along the, the banks of the river. 
and I would recommend exploring those. In the city itself, there's a, an amazing new museum that won a European Museum of the Year award recently, the Poland Museum, the Museum of the History of Polish Jews, which is remarkable, and I, I highly recommend it to anyone coming to the city. But there are countless uh, theaters and other museums that, uh, that people should, should explore if they have the time. And if you were to compare Warsaw as a city to other cities that you know, What do you think would be some characteristic features of Warsaw? It's very different from, from any city in Canada that I've lived in or any city in the United States that I've visited or any city in other parts of, of Europe, I guess. Uh, it, as we mentioned, it was almost totally destroyed, so it has this feel about it that is a bit unusual. It's really blossomed into something, I'd say, in the past Well, since Poland joined the European Union, it's gone, undergone tremendous change. So that's visible everywhere. And you don't, every city is changing constantly, but I'd say Warsaw is changing at a, at a more dramatic rate than more, more established Western cities, perhaps. Um, so really, there's something for everyone here. And uh, it's just an exciting place to be for, uh, for a filmmaker and for a, a young person, I guess. For the full interview, visuals and links, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the last episode, we played this sound, wondering if you can guess what it is and where in Poland you can hear it. Festival Poland, in Polish Przystanek Woodstock, which translates into Woodstock Station, organized since 1995, is an annual ticket-free rock music festival in Poland, inspired by and named for the famous American Woodstock Festival. The Polish Woodstock's record attendance was about 750,000. The local railway operates special Woodstock Festival Poland trains, providing 100 extra trains to take people to and from the festival. The festival's motto is Love, Friendship and Music. It is organized by the Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity as a way of thanking its millions of volunteers. A weekend-long event features performances by around 30 bands every year. Apart from music, the festival features many artistic happenings and various NGOs including Greenpeace and Amnesty International. For a few years, Przestanek Woodstock has been the biggest open-air festival in Europe. The Great Orchestra of Christmas Charity is not a real orchestra. It is the name of one of the largest non-governmental charity organizations in Poland, founded in 1993 by Jurek Ovszak and his friends, to raise money for state-of-the-art medical equipment for public hospitals each year concentrating on a different branch of medicine and respective groups of patients and hospital units, for example, pediatric oncology, congenital defects, accident victims, the elderly, etc. Every year, millions of Poles donate to the foundation and actively participate in grand finales, which take place on the second Sunday of January. The grand finale is one day long nationwide money-raising event. Volunteers from all around Poland go out to the streets and collect money. But the event and campaign are prepared months ahead. 
Apart from the street fundraising campaign, on the day of the finale, there are thousands of events all over Poland and also in many other countries where Poles live. Concerts, auctions, gatherings, people make very creative contributions. Celebrities donate their awards, medals to be auctioned. The event ends with the so-called Light to Heaven, which is a breathtaking fireworks show. The Great Orchestra for Christmas Charity is a mass charity movement like no other in the world. Very special because it unites people and shows them that charity can also be fun. During this year's event, the volunteers raised about 18 million dollars. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? You've been listening to the 17th episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Bonikowska and Tomek Kniat. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. In the next episode we will tell you about lilac girls and what this mysterious phrase has to do with Poland. How an actor from a Polish town of Opole became a Canadian theatre director. Since we talked about rock music in this episode, we leave you with example of Polish rock. The group is called Lady Punk, and you don't have to be a connoisseur of American rock to hear some similarities with one of the biggest American rock groups. Widział ktoś, sypał się lo-